Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. Great being with you. Welcome into Holy Week. This is the beginning of our slowing down. We kind of match the pacing of the Gospels as they all slow down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all get very slow here and sort of mark time very specifically and deeply for this Holy Week. In many cases, this is almost a third of their Gospel writings to cover this week of all that Jesus is and does for us in this space. Uh, the essayist and crime novelist and playwright Dorothy Sayers, kind of a, a, a towering figure of literature and English literature of the early 20th century, she said, you know, and she wrote 12 plays on Holy Week to kind of be sort of performed or thought about together. And she said, you know, if Holy Week doesn't jar you, jolt you, really capture you and, and kind of upset you and turn you upside down, um, something's not right. <laughs> and so we're meant to just slow down to get caught up in the story ourselves. It's why we have these services that Bryant talked about, why we'll do Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, why we'll be here on Easter. And it all starts today with Palm Sunday as Jesus enters in with great tumult and acclamation and also great confusion and misunderstanding. Let's enter into Palm Sunday together with Jesus, the King. Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Mm. 
King Jesus, please ride into our world, into this place, into our very lives as you did on Palm Sunday so many years ago. May we see you and worship you as our King. May we sing your praises with more understanding and depth and even more passion than the crowds did on that day in Jerusalem. Lord Jesus, you are our King. Would we know the beauty, the grace, the peace, the wonder, the hope of your kingship? Give us the blessings and challenges of your reign in full measure this morning. Dear Savior, may we be your people. May we follow you in the way, singing your praises, delighting in the wonder that you went to the cross for us, and then carrying our cross as well, and following you there. Right in, O King. This is the day of our visitation. May you give us great mercies to help us respond in faith, hope, and love today for the first time or for the nth time. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when I think of Palm Sunday, the first thing that comes to my mind is growing up in Lakeside Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida in the late 60s and early 70s. And sort of, we had this odd tradition, and that is, this is, you know, deep, deep south a long time ago, and uh, everybody would get a new outfit for Easter if your family was even very poor. Uh, there would be some way that you would scrap some nickels together and and have maybe a, a new shirt or a new tie or a new belt or something to wear on Easter. And so everybody was getting ready for that special time to sort of dress up in the hope of resurrection. But Palm Sunday was this odd, odd custom in our church. And I've talked to my mom about it. She said, Paul, I don't know why we did this. But the, the custom was you would wear last year's Easter outfit on Palm Sunday. Now, that did not work well for grammar school or middle school boys. You know, it kind of, your pants came to your shins. She said, Paul, I don't know why we did this, but you're right. We did do that. Crazy, kind of odd. Maybe a good idea on paper, right? Bad idea in reality. It kind of is, Palm Sunday's kind of like that, isn't it? There's, on paper, when we read this, there's so much good here, right? There are crowds piling into Jerusalem, you know, uh, around a Passover celebration. Jerusalem might have ordinarily 150,000 people in the city. For a Passover, you might have during this period of time, 10 times that amount. You might have 1.5 million people there, 10x capacity for Jerusalem. So there's these multitudes, and they're all praising God. Hosanna, God save, God save through this one. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They get branches like our children did and cut them down and wave them and honor him as, as a king and a royal figure. They, they lay their cloaks down, right, on the road. There's so much beauty here. And wonder here, there are people coming literally from all parts of the world. John talks about Greek-speaking peoples. You know, even coming, let me find Jesus. Let me see this one that I've heard about who's raised up Lazarus from the dead. There's this wonder. It looks good. But there's a lot of confusion here, right? There's a lot of misunderstanding. Bryant did such a good job of leading us in the liturgy, right? They're crying, Hosanna. Five days later, they're going to shout, crucify him, crucify him. They want a king like David who's going to overthrow the Romans and make a new Israel, right? 
And five days later, they're going to say to the Romans, oh, keep this guy. Give us a robber back instead, Barabbas. You take him and crucify him. You know, um, the, 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 the Pharisees are talked about, uh, they, they, they chide him, right, about, you know, um, that, that, that Jesus, don't let your disciples say these things about you. And Jesus says, well, the very rocks will cry out. In another place, they sort of are, are mumbling among themselves, John says, and says, it looks like the whole world is coming after him. They didn't even know what they were saying, how true that it was. So much confusion. John says in his gospel over in John 12, and the disciples did not understand these things as they were happening. A confusing day. It's a, it's a confusing space we're in, isn't it? You heard it in Bryant's prayer. We wonder in this God who reigns. We wonder in this King of Peace. And we find tragedies like this past week in Nashville, or we remember the one in Uvalde not long ago, not far away. Uh, what is God doing? Where is God? Confusing. And into all this, Jesus rides in. He rides in to be our king. And that gives us hope. The question we want to ask this morning is, what kind of king is Jesus? What kind of king can we expect Jesus to be for us in the world? And I want you to think about this in four ways with me. And we're going to use sort of four objects in the story to help us navigate sort of, you know, how Jesus will reign as king. First, think about the cloaks on the ground. Jesus reigns as a king of grace. He's a king of grace. Think about those cloaks that are laid on the ground that Luke talks about. Um, you know, one of my first memories of history, learning in school, first grade, was my teacher, Mrs. Mitchell. She loved English history, and she taught us a lot of English history, more than, I think, maybe American history. Um, but she liked to talk about Sir Walter Raleigh. That was her favorite figure. And her favorite story to tell was of Raleigh walking the queen along and then seeing the mud puddle in the road. You've heard this, right? And he, he stops the queen, takes his arm away from her, takes off his cloak, puts it on the ground for the queen to walk across so that her feet would not be soiled, so that her majesty would be honored. That's the picture here of what the people are doing. They're, 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 they're way ahead of Raleigh, right? But they're after what people did of old for Israel's kings. You know, there's a story over in the book of Kings that talks about when Jehu has come to be a new king for the northern kingdom of Israel, and, and he's going to set down and put away the wicked house of Ahab. And, uh, and, and when the people hear the prophecy or with Jehu of his being anointed as king, Right? They, they, they bow down in praise to God and they put their cloaks on the steps for him to walk over. That's what the people are trying to say here. And yet, and yet, right, even as they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes, right? They don't really know what they're doing. They really don't get it. How do we know this? We know this from the cries they're going to make five days later. We know this because 12 times historians tell us Twelve times in the last couple of centuries before Jesus makes this move, people have made this move around Passover into Jerusalem, and crowds have come, and they've shouted about kingship, 
and they've waved things like palm branches and put down things like cloaks because they thought this is the one. This is the king. So they really just think probably here, Jesus is the one that's really going to defeat the Romans now. He's really the one. He's really the son of David for Jerusalem and Israel. They don't even know what they're shouting about. They don't know why they're putting their cloaks on the ground. But what does Jesus do? I just love this. He rides in. He accepts these praises. Whatever edge of the leaf of their palm branches that really caught who he was, whatever the edges of the fabric of those robes that they put down, you know, whatever really caught him, he took it in and he accepted it. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, right? When the prodigal comes home and he says to the father, Can I be your slave again? It's a pitiful repentance, right? It's terrible. But what does the father do? He doesn't lecture him. He welcomes him. He embraces him. That's what Jesus does. If I was Jesus and I was riding it on Palm Sunday and they're doing this stuff, I would say, you people don't even know what you're doing. Let me fix this for you. Let me tell you what I'm really about. He just takes it in. What a king of grace he is. Even in this first motion of riding across their cloaks. So let that encourage you. You and I, we're going to miss Jesus badly. I'm 60 years old. I've spent my whole life in the church. I still miss Jesus badly, who he is, what he's about. I can be like the crowds just wanting to come out and see the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, what are you going to do for me today? Jesus, where's my miracle today? Rather than seeing the big, big picture of his kingdom. But he accepts the edges of my praise and love that are accurate, that catch him. And he does that for you too. He's a king of grace. Let's do that for each other as well in his name. He's a king of grace. Think about those cloaks. Secondly, think about he's a king of peace. Think about the donkey that he rides in on. All the gospels talk about this, that he knew that there would be a colt with its mother, a donkey. Matthew talks about the two together. And uh, that, that no one's ever ridden on this colt before, this foal of a donkey. And he procures it, right? He just tells them, you go ahead, you get this for me in the village because the Lord has need of it. Jesus knows he wants to ride in on a donkey. A king not coming in on a charger, not coming in on a war horse, but on a donkey, a humble animal that symbolizes peace. He passes, scholars tell us, as he comes into the city on this path through Bethany and Bethpage, through the Olivet Mountain, down into the valley and into the city. He's, he's passing a specific path where the poorest of the people would be. Where the poorest and sort of the outcast of Jerusalem would be. That's where he wants to go to communicate. I'm here to bring God's shalom, God's peace. Zechariah 9.9 9 are the words that we use to open the service. They're directly quoted over in John and Matthew. They're alluded to here in Luke. Listen to this prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling about peace as he rides in on the donkey. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus just takes the donkey. The Lord has need of it. And it's much of what he'll do in our lives. A lot of scholars have talked about we are a lot like this donkey, that we are, we are procured by the Lord. Our lives are called and untied and brought into his story of going to the cross for us, entering in to go all the way to the cross for us, and then calling us into a path of walking the cross ourselves, laying down our lives for the needs of others in our life. You can know that Jesus comes in humility and love to identify with needy and broken, poor people like us, poor in spirit, to save us and then to say, I want you to ride along with me in this. I want you to take the path of humility with me in this. Um, I, I like N.T. Wright a lot. He's a New Testament scholar, bishop in the Anglican church, a preacher and pastor and writer. He's just got so much that he offers. There are mistakes that he makes, but we all do. Um, and I, I, just, I just love what he writes in a little book called Christians at the Cross, his little kind of walk through Holy Week. And he, and he says here, as you enter Holy Week, as you start on Palm Sunday, he says, you know, think about the Holy Week as like a little corral. And you've got all four, four parts that need to be sung in the corral. When you think about your life and your needs and your hopes and your dreams and your burdens, that's kind of like the alto line. Now, how many have ever sung in a chorus, you know, or a choir? You know, when the director says, let's stop and hear each of the parts, you're just dreading when he says, let's sing the alto part, right? I'm sorry, altos, if you're that. But you know, if you're an alto, like you don't even want to hear your own part by itself, right? It sounds like screeching. and It's just not sweet, okay? But when it's blended in with the melody of the sopranos, right, the wonder of who Jesus is and his kingship of grace and peace, when it has underneath it the baseline of God's eternal love for the world, which moved him to send his son into the world, and when it has the tenor line of the cries and the agony and the needs of the whole world around us, then it all fits together in a beautiful harmony and movement of gospel love. Jesus comes to bring peace. And he wants to invite us into this journey of peace, to walk with humility and hope that he is bringing in shalom. Not only is the Father still on the throne as Bryant prayed, the Son passed all the way through death, entered in to pass through death so that you can have confidence in spaces of tragedy and death for yourselves 
and the world around you. He will ultimately bring peace. He is the king of grace. He is the king of peace. Thirdly, he's the king of glory. Think about the cries of the crowds. Hosanna, God save, literally is what it means. They're looking at Jesus. They're seeing him right in. God save, God save through this one. Luke talks about, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king, the son of David. May peace come from God and peace be in the heavens and peace come to us and mercy in our time. They're crying out. They're honoring glory to God in the highest, right? That's what the angels sang on Christmas night, right? The very entrance of Jesus into the world. It's like the people here are reprising that cry of the angels from Christmas. Now as Holy Week begins, right? Glory, honor to you, O God, come. And yet, and yet, they're going to cry, crucify him. Crucify him in days later. Jesus is okay blending these two together. Accepting the glory of God, do God, and heaped upon him. The Pharisees don't like what people are saying, right? Get your disciples to stop this, but because they don't want God's glory attributed to Jesus. But Jesus is saying, no, the very stones would give it because that's who I am. God, come. And yet I also will willingly allow the cries of crucify him, crucify him to be attached to me because that is what I've come to do. That is where, as John's gospel says, the full glory of God is on display. The hour is truly come when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth. The glory of God is in the cross of Christ. Yes, it is in the creation. Yes, it is in the movements and actions of people, their gifts, their beauties, their strengths. Yes, it is chiefly in the Scriptures. But at the heart of the Scripture, at the heart of the world, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that, that is the glory of God. Those of you who are here on Ash Wednesday heard me say this. I'll, I'll say this to you every year that I'm with you at least once during, during the Holy Week season. So buckle up. Here it goes again. Okay, so uh, Richard John Newhouse talks about in his book, Death on a Friday Afternoon. He walks through the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross, and he, he talks about who Jesus is crucified for us. And he talks about how you can stand, and Fran and I have actually done this, you can stand on the street corner in Manhattan and look to your right, and there is St. Patrick's Cathedral to your right. And you can look to the left across the street, and there is Rockefeller Center, and there is Atlas, the golden Atlas with the globe on his shoulders. And Newhouse says you need to look. You stand at the crossroads. What kind of glory do you want? Do you want a human figure becoming God? gilded and holding up the world in his efforts to be beautiful and strong? Or do you want God become man, pierced through with nails, crowned by thorns, to bring glory to the world through the love of God in Christ, saving us from our sins, renewing our life, promising to bring life 
out of death, even in spaces like Nashville and Uvalde and all your personal struggles and challenges. This is the glory of God. He is a king of grace, the cloaks. He is a king, right, of peace, the donkey. He is a king of such glory, unique glory, strange glory, glory of the cross, the cries of the people. Lastly, think about his tears. He is a king with tears. Think about his weeping. Luke leaves out some stuff. It's interesting. He's the only one that doesn't talk about the palm branches. I'm not sure why he did that, why he left that out. But he does add this that nobody else adds. This weeping as Jesus is coming into the city, as he is entering in. He stops right and he weeps. Would that you knew the day of your visitation. Would that you knew that the king who's truly come for you, who comes to offer you a far greater glory than conquering the Romans, the glory of God come to be crucified. Would that you know the peace that passes understanding that is shalom for the world. Would that you knew the extent of my grace and my love for you. And he just weeps. You know, Tim Keller talks about in this time, sort of first century space in and around Jerusalem, that there were four major groups. Two were kind of political, two were more religious that were in power. Talks about the political groups. The, there are the zealots that are saying, let's go overthrow the Romans at all costs. Let's, let's have a coup and overthrow the Romans. Then there are the Sadducees. Well, let's just kind of get along with the Romans and play ball and we can kind of do our own thing. Those are political solutions to the hope of the kingdom of God. And then the religious ones, right? These Pharisees. Let's be pure. Let's keep all the law perfectly. We'll create a purity. And then there were the Essenes who went a step further and said, that's not enough. Let's withdraw completely from life and culture. Let's go live out in the desert. Jesus says functionally, my kingdom's not about any of these ways. Any of these paths. It's about me riding in in humility and love and grace to give my life to sow peace into the world. That's my glory. That's the glory of God. And he just weeps as they're all missing that. When we miss it, he weeps too. But those are tears, not just of sorrow. Those are tears that bring life. Those are tears that water the seeds of gospel that he has planted, that he is planting within us. And when we miss him on Palm Sunday or any other day, He weeps to to make the hard places soft, to water His Word, and to allow life to spring up. I'll I'll close with this. I'll watch this this week. I'll make Fran watch it with me. My daughter Bailey is here with her husband and my little granddaughter Kit. I held her at the back. Too bad you didn't come to the first service. You got to greet Kit on your way out with me. I held her out there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, She actually liked it, I think. Um, 
Uh, but, you know, I'll make friends because they'll all be gone by then. Nobody's coming in for Easter. And I make people watch Ben-Hur. Uh, not the new one, uh, the 1959 one, Charlton Heston. And um, there's this scene in Ben-Hur at the end where Jesus is hanging there and the blood is flowing down from him, right? And it begins to rain and that blood mixed with the water rushes out and begins to spread from that cross on Golgotha out in all directions. And it, 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 the imagery has that rain causing that blood like to flow and spread out. And then you cut to the scene where Ben-Hur's uh, future wife is and his sister and mother are. And his sister and mother, part of why Ben-Hur is so crushed and overwhelmed with guilt and pain and sorrow and anger and rage, right, is because they have been abused by Roman authorities and they were in a Roman prison and they get leprosy there, right? And they're just outcasts. And they're in this cave to hide from the storm because they wanted to get a glimpse of what Jesus was. And uh, they come out of the cave and, and, and they say, look, your, your hands they're better. Look, your arms, your, your face, they're better. That this blood flowing with the rain causing it to move brings the healing love of Jesus to the world. And they come back. I'm sorry, it's not a spoiler if it's 1959, right? You know. <laughs> and they come back. And they come back at the end and they meet back at the house and they embrace Ben And he says, I felt him take the sword from my hand. It's healing in every way. That's what we can know Jesus will do. And the weeping of his tears for our misses and our struggles helps that blood flow into our lives in the whole world. This is Palm Sunday. This is our King. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of grace you've given us. And we thank you, Jesus, for being the king that you are. May you ride in, Jesus, today. For some of us, in a new way, we so need you to ride in and give us your grace and your peace, your glory as crucified Savior, your tears that can bathe us and renew us in your love. For others of us, Lord, we just need it to start today. We need... We need the new life to start today. We need to be brought in truly to the life of the kingdom of God. So I pray that this would be a day of salvation for all of us in whatever way we need. Come, Jesus, right in. Right in. We pray in your name. Amen.